Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillon. And Stephen Craig. This is episode 52, almost one year. One week away from one year. Yeah, I'm amazed that we've been doing this for a year, almost a year now. Yeah, it's gone really quick. Yeah, um, just, I mean, the first couple episodes we recorded in my really acoustically terrible kitchen and a couple times in your, you know, apartment and... Yep. Now we have a really nice studio to record in, and yeah. We're already reminiscing, and it's not even one year not yet. Not even one year yet, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, the thing I'm surprised about, I guess not too surprised, but we haven't missed a week. Not yet. We had one week where I took off for a family vacation, and we pre-recorded an episode. <clears throat> That's right. And then another episode I recorded while I was on vacation. Right. Yes. But they've always released... Once a week. Once a week. Yeah, so far, so good. Let's keep it up for, well, I'm not going to say it until next week. You know, one more year. One more year. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, at the end of last episode, we were talking about mounting holes. Yep. And so I stuck to my word and my guns as I went ahead and I wrote that into an article. Hey, way to go. And y'all can go up on our blog at MacFab dot com slash blog i think is what it is that's right and it's probably the first thing you'll see when you load that page up so woohoo! a whole article on mounting holes yes and with a bunch of good images yeah i i drew most of them some of them i found on the internet but some of them i drew they look good yeah um then we also talked about that plc that we got last week yep um the really awesome arduino open source PLC of goodness, I guess. Um, I was able to finally get the Wi-Fi connected. It's got a ESP8266. Uh, so basically, what I did is I used this um, piece of software called ESplore. It's got um, it's got actually got different firmware on it than the standard ESP8266 firmware, mm-hmm. which uses AT commands, which is like old school modem stuff. Right. Um, so it uses a different kind of firmware, and so I was like, okay, do I have to load up you know, the, e- the stock firmware, or how do I talk to it? Um, so I found this eSplore software that I think a Russian guy wrote. Um, it's pretty nice. You actually can talk directly to it via serial and manipulate basically everything about it. Oh, that's, that's really nice. And you can load up the – it runs Lua, um, this, the, the language Lua, which I do not know. So I've been learning, basically doing crash courses and learning how that that language software works. Lua, L-U-A? Yep. Hmm. Haven't heard of that. Uh, yeah, it's kind of weird and interesting. Um, but yeah, and so but to get to, so you can talk to the ESP8266 mm-hmm. is, it took a long time to figure out how to talk to it because... Um, it's on the other side of the AT Mega that's inside this box, uh, inside the PLC. So it's like, how do you talk to it without cracking the case open and putting it right and putting your, you know, serial FTDI cable right on the headers for it? Yeah. And you can actually, they have some software that you can load that's on their GitHub. It's I can't remember the name of it, but if you look at it, it's I think it's called um, Node MCU, which is the firmware helper. Okay. Or loader helper or something. And you load that on, and it basically turns the AT Mega as just a pass through. And so it passes the serial commands back and forth between 
the the uh, computer. Oh, so you don't have to open up the case or anything. Yeah, so you, and you could do it over USB. Yep. Okay, that kind of sucks though because you have to dump whatever's on your MCU just to be able to talk to it. Yeah, you have to do that. So you basically have to load a different program to talk to it. <clears throat> I bet you you could probably write your own software to do that, so you can make it a configurable in the menu. Well, yeah, I guess if they give you the code, you could just dump that into yours. Yeah, and and just make that an option. Like click a button for, you know, update. ESP Yeah, who am I talking to? Yeah, who am I talking to? And then they'll pass through. Gotcha. Uh, I bet you that would work, too. So, yeah. Um, and then extension of that, I've been slowly setting up the IoT network at Macrofan. Mm-hmm. Um, basically starting to test all that stuff out. So I've got I got an old computer. Uh, well, it's not that old, but old-ish compared to what we use. Um, I loaded up Ubuntu on it. Got that running today. Um, and I have a you know, a switch slash Wi-Fi guy that I'm, you know, building my network off of. Mainly, I don't want to mess with the current Wi-Fi network that we have at Macrofab because it'd be terrible if I brought down everyone's internet. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and let's see, what else did I do this week? Oh, yeah, the giant clock that we talked about a long time ago. Um, I finally finished the preliminary design for a segment, mm-hmm. and I ordered it. Um, so I'm building the – it's basically going to be like a seven-segment clock uh, – well, seven-segment LED di- clock display. Yeah. Um, but huge. Ginormous. You can buy big ones, but this one's on another level of bigness. Um, just one segment is 6.3 inches by 2.6 inches. And so you get seven of these segments of these individual boards per digit times six. So that's what, 42? Ye- seven times six, 42. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 42. So f- almost four feet Yeah, of a wide? Yeah. That's it's awesome. Gonna, it's going to be big. Um, and each segment's got 86 0805 LEDs on it. Wow. Yeah, and then at 1.8 volts, that pulls about 1.7-ish amps. So it's going to be pretty pretty beefy. It's going to be thirsty when yeah. when you uh, have the number eights on there. Yeah, number eights. <laughs> Does it, wait, did you make two little circle ones uh, no, to I, go in between? No, I won't make some circle. Well, I actually think about making uh, rectangle or squarish. Oh, okay, for, yeah, for, yeah. But, yeah, I got to do that. But to mount and give everything power... Uh, I put two mounting holes on it, and one of them is connected to the all the anodes, and one's connected to all the cathodes. And so the board, I'm going to CNC out a ginormous you know, piece of plywood with holes all in it, and then the standoff will go into the holes, and then underneath the standoff, I'll put a spade connector connected to all the power supply and the you know control you know, doodads. Right. Yeah. So kill two birds with one stone. Yep. Be pretty cool. Yeah, that's work. awesome. And that's that's what I've been doing this week. So, so uh, on to me, yep. the uh, FX Dev Board. Uh, we're going to be giving an update on that for the next coming weeks okay. as as we're going through the uh, uh, through the campaign. So there's 21 days less left, uh, and we're do, we're doing all right. So um, we got some new content uh, that's coming out tomorrow. I'm actually uh, so oh, last week we're making uh, we made some videos or one video on um, kind of going a little bit further into the details on the actual board itself and showing some more like cool little secrets and stuff um, that little things that make your life easier if you're doing the design work on there Uh, and tomorrow we're actually going to be doing an application 
Uh, so I'm going to be building a little circuit on there, and you can see uh, some of the some of the cool little things that the board will uh, uh, give you. you yeah. So uh, yeah, keep your eyes open for that. Um, if you haven't gone and checked it out, please go to uh, crowdsupply.com and check out the FX development board. Uh, you can also go to fxdevboard.com and uh, get all the information there. Uh, please go and share that with uh, anyone that you know who would be interested in it. Um, great. So the uh, greatest resistor in the world. <laughs> we uh, resistor that ha- that I think we had actually ordered that last week. Yeah, we ordered it Wednesday, Tuesday ish last week. Yeah. Right, right. So uh, it's still on order, but that should be arriving soon. I would expect. I'm hoping it arrives next Friday. Next Friday? I would think it would be earlier than that. I'm hoping. Yeah, well, we'll see. A couple days for shipping and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if we have it next week. Um, so probably in two weeks or so, we can have that kind of built up. Yeah. So uh, greatest resistor in the world is our big resistor array, capacitor array stuff. Uh, we've been talking about it for the past couple Five podcasts. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll have that going in the next couple weeks. Uh, so I actually pulled up a project from quite a while ago. It's uh, risen from the dead. That's right. Zombie project. Well, sort of. Uh, at any one point in time, I'm juggling like 30 different projects, and it's just like, which one am I working on this way, week? That's normal for electrical engineers. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So it, it, it either goes one of two ways. Which one am I most interested in right now, or which one is the most on fire right now? And uh, which one costs the less for me to keep going? Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is very true. Um, so I resurrected. I shouldn't say resurrected because I have been working on it periodically. Regardless, I put a bunch of work into uh, a uh, synthesizer project I've been working on. In fact, we first kind of talked about it back in episode number 35, Yep. Uh, which was October Surgical of 16. That's right. That's right. That's the one. And uh, And so... Basically, what I was doing back then was I was designing one small portion of an entire synthesizer, and uh, my goal this week was to just kind of throw down a board with um, that one portion, and uh, Parker can probably tell you I'm fantastic at doing feature creep, and I ended up I ended up building like a larger portion because I wanted this to have just a little bit more functionality and then a little bit more, and it just kind of rolled snowballed. and spawned and snowballed yeah into i like that spawn yeah now i have it's an entire uh synthesizer on a single pcb uh and of course it was basically what it was was i designed nine different um modules individual mm-hmm. modules and i wanted to test the functionality of each one and instead of building nine individual pcbs i just decided why not throw them all on one so basically i have a, a module that converts midi signals to control voltage i have a vco core module which takes that control voltage and converts it into six separate waves i have a wave animator a voltage controlled filter a voltage controlled amplifier an adsr which is a tack decay sustain release envelope and a low frequency oscillator and some other little stuff sprinkled in there so i, I have like all of these modules that just said you know screw it it's all going on one board uh and i got all of it in the schematic done and it ended up being 507 components which is <laughs> a lot is, how big is this board going to be uh, about four inches by four inches four it's layer pretty compact yeah yeah i'm i'm planning on squishing it 
down as much as possible. I don't it, it, because this is kind of like a grand prototype. I don't want it to be this huge like two foot by two foot board. I'm just gonna try to squish it down into as much as possible. And if it becomes a rat nest of wires, I really don't care. Yeah, because you actually auto routed it earlier. I tried auto routing <laughs> it. Yeah. Well, okay. So dip trace has has it has some weird functions. When you when you drop your components into a PCB from your schematic, it just spreads them wherever. Yep. It just drops them anywhere. Yeah. And it has multiple buttons that you can press in order to organize the components. Uh, one of them oh, I is... I wish Eagle had that. It doesn't? No. So what, what Eagle does is when you, when you open up a new... So you finish your schematic, yeah. and you click the switch to board. It'll, most of the time, you don't have a board created. Yeah. So it goes, oh, create a board. So you hit yes, and then it just drops a straight line of your oh, parts. Oh, that is brutal. And so when you're doing something as big, like let's say the pin heck, which yeah. has got like 600 components, it's 600 components in a straight line all the way down. So when you get towards the end, you're like scrolling around grabbing parts and dragging them back up to your board. Oh, that's so terrible. Yeah, that's... Uh, uh, okay, fix so... Fix that outer desk. Yeah, yeah, no lie. <laughs> so, Dip Trace has two functions. If you, if you don't have a board outline, you can do, uh, like, a sort where it will put everything in the positive quadrant, and based off of some parameters you give it, it'll space them based off of that into a grid. So you can just put everything there, and then once you have a board placed, you can do an auto place, but that's worthless. In fact, I think we're going to talk about that later on. Uh, Regardless, um, in fact, let me ask you this. So the way I always lay out a board when I have a bunch of components is I sort them, and then I make little boxes in my... Uh, assembly layer basically that clumps groups of parts together like if I have like uh, for example on this synthesizer I have some uh, Atmega 328 piece uh, I put those chips in there and then all the peripheral chips or uh, caps and resistors that connect to it I put them in a little box and I clump everything together that's what I do you do okay. I don't I don't draw like individual boxes or stuff okay I just like I'll take I'm like okay all these parts are for the filter I'll put them here and then all the stuff for the power supply go here. And then when I sort all those out, then I'll go in and actually look at the rat nest and start, you know, organizing them that way. Gotcha. And okay. A lot, and a lot so of times, we basically do the same thing. Yeah, and a lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll actually draw a, uh, a draw plane with the ground. Yeah. And that will get rid of, because I know I'm going to basically try to route everything, all the signals on one side. Yep. And then have a straight ground plane. Yeah. And so I'll basically doing that, I get rid of all the ground nets. And so I can see what I actually have to route. Ah, uh, I got you. I got you. Yeah. Okay, so, in fact, I don't know about this in Eagle. In DipTrace, you can, you can say hide a rat line for a particular net. You can do that in, in uh, Eagle as well. Okay, so when it comes Why to... Why I use that? Yeah, there you go. That solves you. <laughs> Maybe because I would forget to route it later. <laughs> Maybe. So, so I've got positive and negative 15 planes and a whole ground plane. I'm just turning all those nets off because I know I'm just going to drop a via and it'll connect right to that plane. So I turn all those off and that gets rid of so many rat lines. It's not even funny. This is going to be four layer. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I would be psycho to try to do this in one or two layers. Yeah. Although I am going to try to do most of the signals in one layer. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I always try to do. Un- uninterrupted planes are a big deal. Well, that and it also looks awesome. 
Right. Well, yeah. And and there's like a level of there's a weird level of challenge that like if you actually succeed doing that, you're like, yeah, I did that. Yeah, I actually designed uh, a customer's programming fixture, and I did like 99 percent of it on one layer. Oh yeah. And it's a four layer board. Yeah. And then I had to run like the reset line to the microcontroller on the second line. <laughs> actually, funny enough, you you uh you finished that this week, right? Yeah. Uh, no, last week. It was la- okay, last okay. Last Friday. That's right. It was last Friday. Parker is usually fairly energetic and uh, noisy is not the right word, but there's sounds coming from Parker during the day. Uh, Man, he was in the zone doing this PCB. Like, not a sound coming from Parker, and you couldn't ask him questions. He was just, his eyes were just on the screen. Yeah, yeah I, I had knocked that thing out. <laughs> yeah. No, you did it. You killed it. Yeah. It was, it was kind of impressive. Yeah, basically, if I put my headphones on at my computer, I'm like, yeah, right. Just zone right in. Yeah, yeah. You just got to be a laser beam. I, d- I do that. I I got this weird thing. I've probably told Parker a thousand times this, but I can put I can put a single song on repeat, literally hundreds of times when I'm laying out a PCB. Yeah, do the same thing. Yeah, I could just put it. For some reason, it gets you in a trance, and yeah. I just oh, laying out a PCB is the funnest thing. It turns ever. off your like thinking part of your brain, and so all you have to do is just, like the task at hand. Sure. That's my biggest or, problem. Is. Or the other way to say that is I think is more it's like it focuses you on nothing but that. Yeah, well, yeah, it's just because a lot of times we'll be, I'll be working on a project and be like, and something will click my memory or something and I'll start thinking about a different project yeah. that I don't need to work on at all. Right. And so playing, a, playing music on repeat or something like that turns that part off. Yeah. At least for me. Well, I, funny enough, I started I started doing something like that um, I, on this synth thing just just the other night, and uh, I started working at like seven thirty at night on this thing. My wife comes into the room at twelve thirty in the morning, and she she was like, "Are you are you okay?" I look back, I was like, <laughs> "Oh, are you okay?" Yeah, and I was like, "What? What? What? What's wrong?" And then I realized I had been sitting at my bench for moved. five hours and hadn't moved, and I had like electric dance music going for five. <laughs> Uh, when I was doing that fixture, I was listening to the Bat Out of Hell by Meatloaf 10-hour mix. Perfect. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know. Just guitar solos for 10 hours. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, electrical engineers, we're messed up in the head. That should just, be our slogan. a little bit. So, okay, yeah. That's what I've been doing. <laughs> <laughs> on to the RFO. Yeah, on to RFO. Um. Really cool project I saw on the Hackaday.io, was it um, their project site? Yeah. Because um, we always like talking about IoT stuff. We like giving them crap. But this one was actually kind of interesting because it's one of my favorite hobbies, beer drinking. Oh. Um, basically, this guy's got this project to figure out how many beers you've drunk that night with an IMU on your wrist. So, like, how many times you, you know, drink from a beer. Mm-hmm. And calculate out how many beers you've had from that. Hmm. Um, and he hasn't gotten too far into the project from what I've seen so far, but it looks pretty promising. He's got custom hardware. Um, basically, he's got like a Bluetooth and a uh, IMU that goes to his smartphone. That or it no, is that a smartphone? I can't remember. Anyway, he's got a LED display, all this cool shit. Looks really awesome. Um, I kind of want to try that out. 
when they go to like a bar. You know, okay, like I think that's super cool and it's fun, but it's it's hilarious. And this is totally an electrical engineer doing this. It has to be. Oh yeah. Because because it's a guy who's putting a ton of technology into something that you can just count in your head. We're <laughs> just like, oh, that's two beers. That's three beers. Well, it's like a it's like uh, a walking. Oh, it's like a pedometer. Well, it's like an anti Fitbit. <laughs> oh, there we go. I gotta turn that into into the podcast title. Anti Fitbit. Anti well, there we go. We there got the go. title. Yeah. That's that's awesome. <laughs> really cool project. Um I'm I'm really hope I wanna see his data, like how he's measuring drinks. Yeah. And, and I guess because you have to average that out because, you know, sometimes you'll take 11 sips. Sometimes you'll take, you know, five. It depends on the beer, maybe. Sometimes you hammer the entire pint. In one go? In one go. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to guess it probably will eventually just average it out kind of like, you know, Fitbits do. Because Fitbit can't actually, like, when you step, sure, it can detect that. But what if you, like, jumped in place or drop your phone or something like that oh yeah it's it's not about being accurate on the on the granular level it's no. about just global yeah global accuracy yeah right cool it's a it's a cool project let's keep our eye on it yeah um and this is yours it's a uh, spark fun and mauser have an, a thing they're doing yeah i saw i saw an article pop up this week and i think it's super cool so spark fun and mauser are kind of teaming up in the sense that SparkFun is now going to be offering a handful, well, I shouldn't even say a handful, they say 500 products at Mauser now, which I think is super cool. Um, a lot of the things that they were showcasing were Arduino-based. Uh, they have There's a, a whole bunch of lily pad stuff Breakout that's going to be available. Probably. Well, but their, their red board, which is SparkFun's version of the Arduino, and they have the Arduino Pro, all of those are now going to be available uh, directly from Mauser, cool. which is, you know, it's kind of curious because it's like, well, who cares? Because you could have just gotten them from SparkFun. But the reason why I think this is really cool is because there's so many times that I'm designing a little gizmo or widget where an Arduino would be great, but I'd also like to pick up some really specific resistors or blah, 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 whatever. Now I can do that all in one location with one shipping, and it's it's all from Mauser, which is great. Yeah, because... Um before this, um, you can get some of Adafruit stuff from Mauser. Right. Yeah. So I guess this is just a Mauser partnering up with more, you know, maker centric companies and that kind of stuff. Well, and it's great because okay, and you've you've experienced this plenty, Parker. The the maker community is awesome and it's fun, but their the the ecosystem that they create is like you get maker stuff and you only get maker stuff. Uh, in other words, like take resistors for an example at SparkFun. You can get resistors at SparkFun, but they're gonna be your carbon composition quarter watt oh, resistors. Okay, that's like what you're, you're gonna now. get the maker resistor. Yeah, but, maker. You're gonna get the resistors that you can use on breadboards. Exactly. You're, you're gonna, gonna get, get an. You're not gonna get an 0603 11.7k that you need for your audio feedback loop. Exactly. But the opposite was true. If you went to Mauser, you could get that super special resistor. But, you know, screw you if you were trying to get an Arduino. Now you or can get you, them both. Or like a low-cost maker-oriented, like, dev board. Exactly. You can get all the dev boards that, let's say, Atmel makes or, or uh, let's say, uh, TI makes. But you're going to pay out the wazoo because... Well, or, or you could get all the parts to make an Arduino or yeah. a dev board or whatnot. But you couldn't get... 
the maker dev board. Now there's one location where they're all together, yeah. which that's kind of cool, if you ask me. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I want I want to see if they will carry more of their like robotic stuff too. Well, I mean, 500 products. That's that's a boatload. Yeah. I wonder if uh, that company, uh, Palooloo, whatever it's called, <laughs> will team up with Mauser. Who knows? I, I mean, it looks Palooloo. like Mauser's trying to branch out to these kind of things. <laughs> Palooloo? Yeah, I think that's what it is. Something it's like that. something weird. Yeah. That, that company's awesome. How much crazy uh, robotic stuff they have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so last week, we're talking about mounting holes. Right, right. right. So this week, we are... We're going to do a double uh, back-to-back, right? Yeah. Because next week, we're actually going to have a guest. That's right, yeah. Secret guest. Um, <laughs> so so next week, I'll, I'll be writing an article. Yeah, on, on our topic, which is? Properly marking parts with silkscreen diodes. Ah, diodes. These ones, and, and, and it's funny that we're starting with diodes. Because diodes are like the worst, worst for marking, the yeah. absolute worst, and uh, and so so what we're going to be the next one will be probably be capacitors for silkscreen, right? So this is going to be sure. A series. Why not a series? <laughs> yeah, uh, I I think it's it, it's it's better to just let's pick a component, let's give some examples, and let's say here's a good way of doing it. Okay. Uh, so so diodes. Um, well, first of all, I do I do a lot of. Uh, help with the manufacturing side at Macrofab in terms of generating programs for all of our pick-and-place machinery and things of that sort. Uh, And so I deal a lot with um, customers and how they mark their components on their boards. And uh, it's all over the place. There is no industry standard. There is absolutely no standard. Uh, Let's make another standard to circumvent all other standards. Yeah. The Macrofab standard. (laughs) Well, we're we're sort of almost doing that by writing this article. It's, <laughs> you're right. You're right. So 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 here's the thing: like nobody follows the same convention, uh, and and it's it's confusing at best. Yeah. So I, it's even funny because I actually have my own way of doing it, and you even have your own way of doing it. Right. Okay. So before we go into actually talking about it, what is your way of marking diodes? So I always put no matter what the data sheet says. Yeah. I always put a mark on the cathode. Okay. Okay. If it is a two lead LED, so if it's a if it's a uh, like a chip size LED, like an 0805 uh, or an O six O three or whatever, um, I put a mark on the outboard side of the cathode. Okay, not okay. underneath. Not it. underneath, because that way you can see it when there's an LED soldered on the board. Hey, that's smart. Yeah, exactly. And then um, if it's a if it's like a, a a T1 or T3 or T5 size LED, like a through-hole guy? Through-hole guy, I will do the normal, you know, draw a circle with a notch with a flat edge. Yeah, yeah. Flat yeah, edge yeah. is is typical is, is uh, the cathode. cathode. Yeah. Unless you're using a really old school red one and it's not. Right. <laughs> um, that's anode. Um, but Besides that, um, so if it's a multi-leaded part, like some of the crazy, you know, WS twenty eight twelves, yep, or some of the like um, RGB LEDs that have four leads that have a common cathode or common anode, I put a mark on the silkscreen where the pin and not pin indicator uh, where the uh, 
package indicator has it. Yeah. Um, so, like, if you have a four-lead part and it's got a mark on pin one, you put a mark on your board where pin one would be. Um, some are marked pin three, some are marked pin four. It depends on manufacturing. You know, it's kind of like crystals, too. Yeah. And, and usually I'll try to copy what the pin mark is. Yeah. So if it's like a – if it's a – if it's a – a corner bevel. cut. Yeah. I'll put a corner cut on the silk screen. If it's a dot, I'll put a dot, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So so you have a convention. Yeah, I always stick to that, those those two rules. So um I like those rules. Um potentially minus one. I, the the one thing that I do differently is I always mark my footprint based off of what the package is marked as. What you can see is what you get. So uh, when it comes to the anode-cathode convention, uh, 99% of the time it is going to point towards the cathode on a diode or an LED. Maybe not 99%, 90% of the time. Yeah. Uh, it's going to point towards the cathode. So you're pretty much you're, you're going to be okay for the most part if you do have your marking towards the cathode. But it's not always true. The, what I've found is if you always make your footprint match what the data sheet shows in terms of how the component is marked, then you have the best chance for success. But then you have to double your library size. Well, okay, so this is another topic. This is something that that I do a lot less now, but I used to do every single time I made a board, I would make a unique footprint for every part. Yeah, every single part, including resistors and caps. It just, it used to be my method. Now I've... Killing me. Well, now, (laughs) the thing is, now I have found some, like, 0603, 0805 packages that I like, and I know they work, and I'm happy with them, so I'd never change those. Everything else I make custom packages for. Uh, So I would make a custom package for every LED. That's why it takes you so long to lay out boards. It takes (laughs) me longer, yeah, because I... I, The thing is, I don't like trusting other... Oh, no, no, I will agree with you. I don't trust a lot of other people's layout uh, things, but I have my own library that I've built up over the past, like, decade. (laughs) Oh, you know, the funny thing is I have that too, but my library is filled with unique part numbers, not like SOIC 8. It'll be a part number that's TLO 17 or something like that. Yeah, I actually agree is a lot of times, um, like, I actually have a, a TI SOIC 8. Right. Um, and I have manufacturer ones like that. Gotcha. Yeah. And then if there was one that's funky, I'll actually, because there's some that have SOSC 8 wide packages. Right. What and narrow and, and all yeah, that other yeah. garbage. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So let's steer this back. Okay. So marking diodes with silkscreen. Here yep. is the suggestion right here. Mark your silkscreen with an actual diode symbol. So a triangle underneath the component. That is really clear for most people. Uh, And then also mark outside the package with a separate marking that shows the component marking. So in other words, if you have a cathode marked LED, you'd have You'd have the two pads with a triangle in between the pads, and then outside of those pads on either the cathode or anode, whichever one is has the actual component marking, you put a dot. I would agree with that. The only problem is when you – that works fine with 0805s, but when you get to 0603, the pads are too close to usually put an arrow underneath them. That's right. So at that point, you just put the dot, and the dot represents how the component is marked. Okay. Because here's the thing. When it comes to diode diodes, not LEDs, they're almost always cathode marked. 
LEDs are the ones that get a little bit funky, and even between a single manufacturer, they will have some LEDs anode marked and some even on the same marked. data sheet. Right, right, <laughs> and it's so worth mentioning that and marking that on your parts. So for LEDs, always mark how the component is um, to be rotated effectively. Um, but if you can, put as much information as possible on your board. If you have a little arrow on your board that represents a diode symbol, it is very hard to get that wrong as a contract manufacturer. Exactly. But if, you, but if all you have is like this weird like star that's put in a weird location and has... It's next to another part and it might be pin one for that part. Right, right. Like <laughs> it, it makes it so difficult. So a, a, a little bit of extra work for clarity makes it so much easier on the contract manufacturer. So You just want to make your job easier. Of course. <laughs> Everyone wants to do that. <laughs> and with that, that was episode 52 of the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We were your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. Later, guys. Take it easy. Now, how's that for an outro? <laughs> Abrupt. <laughs> <laughs>